0: All right, well, good evening, everyone, and welcome. Uh, if you don't know me, my name is Jarrett, and I help lead City Light You, North Lincoln, um, as part of the Clue Crew. Um, and tonight, we're going to be entering into week three of our series on what does the Bible say about. Uh, if you missed week one or two of the series, or both, um, you can listen to those on our Spotify page, because like I said last week, we fancy now. My mom is still super excited about it. Uh, but the first week, we looked at what the Bible says about God. Uh, first, how it is His eternal nature that gives life meaning and that he's all-powerful, all-knowing, and all-present. He's everywhere. And then we looked at three characteristics about God, that God is holy, that God is just, and that God is love. And then last week, we talked about what's wrong with the world and how the Bible presents sin as being the core reason. And while sin is likely a word that's familiar to all of us for its somewhat common usage today, we looked at what the word truly means in order to gain a more full understanding of how sin has left the world in the state that it is today. That it means to fall short and miss the mark. That the Bible's concept of sin is not that we are always as bad as we could be, but that we're never as good as we should be. As John 8.34 says, we are slaves to sin. We are stuck in it and unable to escape. And as a result, we're left in a world that's deeply broken. And so tonight, we're going to be talking about what the Bible says about how to fix the world. And in order to do that, we need to identify what that true problem is. Sin created this problem, but what is this problem that was created? What is the issue that needs resolving? And my hope tonight as we get into this topic is that we continue to gain a fuller picture and understanding of the realities of our world and how the Bible speaks really clearly into them. As I said last week, the Bible does not shy away from answering the big questions of life, both what is wrong with the world and also how to fix it. And while what we talk about tonight may not be completely new to anyone, Um, It's easy for us to brush over it, ignore it, or at least lack a comprehensive understanding. So tonight, I encourage you not to check out if things begin to sound familiar, but instead consider how you might grow tonight in new ways. And just like every other week, I want to say it's totally okay if you're in this room and you don't agree with everything that is said tonight. Uh, What we're going to be talking about is the core of Christianity, and so if you're here and you're not a Christian, I wouldn't expect you to agree with these things. Um, But the Bible is presenting them as true, and so I encourage you to at least consider them. I'm going to pray, and then we'll get into all the Bible has to say. Dear Lord, uh, yeah, I just thank you. I thank you for another opportunity uh, for us to be in the Word, for us to yeah, just spend time desiring to know you more fully. Um, yeah, and I thank you that, that you haven't left us in a world that's just broken, um, that, yeah, that isn't the end of the story, that as we get into our, what do we see tonight, um, that, yeah, that you provide us with a way um, that you haven't left us all alone, but you have continue to be with us. Um, and so, yeah, pray tonight as we spend time. In your word and looking at what you have to say, pray that you'd you be present tonight that you be speaking. Uh, that The words I speak tonight, but they wouldn't be my own, but they would be you speaking through me, Lord. Um, yeah, with the things that you desire for us to hear, the things you desire for us to take away, um, would those be heard um, anything that isn't from you? Yeah, would that just fall on deaf ears, Lord? Uh, so yeah, pray that, yeah, you be leading tonight, um, that we would love you more fully as a result of tonight, have a better image of the work that you're doing. Um, and yeah, as a result, just know you more fully. In your name, amen. All right. So the Bible says that the result of sin, the problem, is that we are now separated from God. In Colossians one twenty one, it says that we've been alienated from God, been separated from Him because of our sin. The ways in which we fall short of being as good as we should be since we've been made in the image of God. And this separation has occurred because of the contrast between God's perfect characteristics that we talked about two weeks ago and the corrupting impact of sin in our lives that we talked about last week. And this is more than just saying that there's physical distance between us and God. A God who is holy and perfect cannot be around sin, because then he would no longer be perfect. So our falling short has separated us from God. It has created not only physical distance, but relational distance. And thus, our first step tonight is to examine what the Bible has to say about our separation from God. Because if we're going to fix this problem, we need to truly understand the problem. So the first question that I want to answer tonight is, why is being separated from God a bad thing? Why is this a problem to begin with? And why do we even wanna fix it? Why do we wanna remove the separation that exists between us and God, as the Bible tells us there is? I think back to the last two years of my life um, and all the physical separation that we all have experienced. For me, with COVID, that meant separation from my roommates and best friends in college when I moved back home and then here to Nebraska as COVID began during my last semester of college. And it sucked, it really, it did. It sucked because separation is hard when you, the thing that you're being separated from is something that is so good. I loved my friends and deeply enjoyed being with them. They knew me so well and I knew them just as well. And what I wanted was to be with them because on some level, this is just common sense. We wanna surround ourselves with the things that we perceive to be good. And the God revealed to us in the Bible is completely and perfectly good. And while I can and have survived being separated from my friends, separation from God is a completely different reality. If we are left in our current state of falling short, of not being all that we should be and all that God made humanity to be, the Bible leaves us with a pretty bleak picture of how things will end up. I went to University of Michigan. I know, not great. Um, but I remember in college, when we would walk to football games, there would always be this guy who would be standing near the typical path students would walk and he would have his megaphone and he'd be shouting all the things that would happen to people if they didn't believe in God. Um, frankly, this dude was rude, he was loud, he was obnoxious, and yeah, he was not at all loving. Uh, but at the same time, he was not wildly off-base about the truths laid out in the Bible. Romans 2.5 says that because of how we fall short, we are storing up wrath for ourselves. God, who is completely just, as we've seen, cannot leave sin unpunished, because to do so would be an unjust action. He must act if he's going to maintain his character. And when we remember that the God of the Bible is an eternal God, like we talked about in the first week, To be separated from him is not just a temporary fate. It is instead an eternal fate that the Bible refers to as hell. And I think it's fair to say that we all have at least heard of hell. Whether it be the common images in society today of an angry-looking red man with a pitchfork, flames, or other imagery, we all are familiar with at least some concept of hell. And I think we often get into this mindset of hell being a punishment that God forces upon us. How could a good and loving God sentence his creation, humanity, to a place like hell? How could he do that? But the reality is, when we choose life separated from God, when we live in a way that wants little to nothing to do with him, and what he has for us, we choose that fate for ourselves. Second Peter 3.9 says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. I'll read that again. Um, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Hell does not exist as a reality because God is a spiteful and vindictive God who wants to get back at humanity. Hell exists because God's perfectness cannot be around sin, and for those who want nothing to do with him, those who want to live their life separated from the creator, they will be granted such an existence for all of eternity. So if God's will is that none should perish, that all should reach what the Bible calls repentance, a changing in thinking and action, how can this tangibly be done? As we've established, sin is falling short, um, and it's something that we cannot overcome on our own, by our own strength. And as we've mentioned each the last two weeks, but what I really want to dive into deeply tonight, the Bible presents Jesus as God's solution to the separation between himself and humanity. And if we're going to gain at least a close to a full understanding of how the Bible claims that Jesus accomplishes such a lofty task that we couldn't do ourselves, it makes the most sense for us to go back to the beginning, because John chapter 1 tells us that Jesus was around from the beginning. And while we're not going to get into all the nuances of the relationship of the Trinity tonight, because we'd be here for hours and we'd all be super confused, um, what I want us to take away is that Jesus was not a rushed, desperate plan by God to remove the separation from, between God and humanity. Jesus was not a rushed, desperate plan by God. Jesus was not a scrambled solution to an unforeseen problem. God did not suddenly realize how sinful humanity was and then panic and decide to send Jesus because that might fix things. Instead, the sending of Jesus was in accordance with his definite plan that he had formed from the beginning of time. And if you were here last week, we looked at when sin entered into the world in the third chapter of the Bible and the promise that God made to Satan, that the offspring of Eve, who was the first woman, would bruise Satan's head while Satan will bruise his heel. And while honestly, on the surface, this seems super confusing, uh, what we see here is that this is our first glimpse into God had intended from the beginning to use Jesus. That while Satan would wound him, Jesus would ultimately defeat Satan. So who was Jesus? And how can we feel confident that God's plan to use Jesus actually did remove the separation between humanity and God? The Bible reveals that Jesus was the Son of God, both fully God and fully human. Having been one with God from the beginning, before the earth was created, Jesus came to earth and lived amongst humanity. And where I want us to look to get the fuller picture of that in the Bible is Philippians 2, 5 through 11, which says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not consider or count equality with God a thing to be grasped, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of the Father. So so first we see that in the Bible that in Jesus' life, while he was alive on earth, Jesus willingly became human. He willingly endured all the same things that humans do. And the first four chapters, or the first four books of the second half of the Bible, the New Testament, all recount the time in which Jesus was alive. And while these focus on different aspects and take different approaches to their accounts of Jesus' life, they all focus on the miracles that Jesus did in healing people, all the while claiming to be the Son of God and speaking of ushering in the kingdom of God, a topic that we'll get into more later. And at the end of each of these four books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they tell of the death of Jesus. And while Jesus' life was incredibly significant for the things that he did while he was alive, his death begins to paint a bigger picture of why he came to earth and lived as a human. And so where I want us to look in the Bible for a full understanding of Jesus' death, why he died, is Mark 15, 34, which is when Jesus says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So this moment is when Jesus is on the cross, being put to death for claiming to be the Son of God and God himself. And to gain a fuller understanding of this moment, I want us to consider what we've talked about over the last two weeks. So as we've mentioned, God is just, and given the presence of sin in the world, of falling short, there has to be a price paid for this. God can't simply let that go. Um, Otherwise, yeah, God wouldn't be just or holy because to be around sin would corrupt God's holiness. But in God's love, the Bible says that he sent Jesus to pay the consequence for how humanity has fallen short from not being as good as we should be. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And in this, yeah, we begin to see that, that Jesus, who had no, who knew no sin, became sin for us. Um, and yeah, I want us to read Romans 5, 6, 5, 6, 5, yeah, Romans five chapter five verses six through eleven again this week because I think it captures this idea so well. Flip to it here real quick. So yeah, Romans five six through eleven, which says, "For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person." now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life? More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have not received reconciliation. And by taking on the consequences of humanity's falling short while on the cross, Jesus experienced the same thing as humanity, complete separation from God. And this is what we see Jesus crying out on the cross in Mark 15:34, when he says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In this moment, Jesus experienced separation from God after having spent all of eternity with God in perfect relationship. And I want you to imagine someone close to you in your life. It could be a significant other, a roommate, a family member, anyone else. Someone who you are consistently with and in close relationship with. And then imagine that if all of a sudden that relationship, that closeness that you had was just gone. It disappeared and it was just, it just, all of a sudden it was gone. This is what we see with Jesus, who had been in perfect relationship with the Father, even more so than any relationship that we have. Um, we see him experience the severing of this relationship that we deserved on the cross, even if only for a brief time. And this undeserved favor that we're offered um, of Jesus taking our place is God's grace. But if we stopped here, if the story ended after Jesus's life and then his death, Jesus would have been a pretty great and cool guy he definitely would have been someone to admire. He would have carried himself perfectly, done everything he was supposed to, and died for a cause that he believed in um, with everything inside of him. But he really wouldn't have been all that special. He wouldn't have been much different than any martyr who's died for a cause that they deeply believe in. And we would have no confidence that Jesus' death had actually done anything for us. The things that he'd said while he was alive on earth, the promises that he made, such as John ten twenty eight, when he says, I give them eternal life and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand, we wouldn't truly know if these promises were legitimate. It would only be a guessing game at best for us on if the separation between us and God had truly been bridged or not by Jesus. There would be no reason to be confident that Jesus had actually accomplished what he said he would. And the Bible does not shy away from this reality. And thus the Bible presents Jesus' resurrection as being the most vital element and the event upon which the entire Bible is centered upon. 1 Corinthians 15, 14 says, And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. I'll read that again. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We don't gather together as a community because the Bible says that Jesus only lived and died. We gather together as a community because the Bible says that Jesus lived, died, and then rose again. And our topic tonight, what the Bible says about how to fix the world, rests entirely upon Jesus because no one else and nothing else is qualified enough to be able to fix the world. When the ultimate problem that we see leading to separation um, it leads to death, only the one who took our place and overcame and defeated death can solve this problem. It is Jesus' resurrection that keeps our separation from a perfect and loving God from being the end of the story. It continues the story on. And so instead what we see is that Jesus reconciles us with God. He, gaps, he bridges the gap of separation that existed between humanity and God if you remember, back at the beginning of tonight, Colossians 1.21 said that we've been separated from God, um, that this is the problem and what is wrong with the world. However, the fuller picture of Colossians 1.21 and 22 summarizes the new reality that humanity has in Christ, stating, once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation, I'll read that one again because I know it's a different translation than what I printed. Um, Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. So what does this reconciliation mean for us? What are we saved by Jesus for? What is our hope tangibly in when the world around us seems only to continue to deteriorate? Ultimately, the Bible says that our hope is in the kingdom of God that Jesus said he began to usher in while he lived on earth. And while for the interest of time, we're not going to dive too deeply into this topic today, the reality is is that we cannot fix the world, but we can hope in an eternity in the presence of God. The last book of the Bible, Revelation, tells us of what will happen when Jesus does return, as he promised to do after he resurrected. And for tonight, I just want us to read four verses in that, Revelation 21, one through 4 He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. Read that again. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, no, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. Our hope is in the best thing that we literally could ever hope for. Just like in the initial state in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve, where the perfect God declared that things were good, the promise here given here is an eternity free of death and pain. All the things that are wrong with the world, the corrupting presence of sin, will no longer be present. You see in verse 4 that these things will have passed away. And so if you're here tonight and you've made the commitment to follow Jesus, if you believe that Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection were, were for the forgiveness of your sins so you can be reconciled to God... My encouragement to you tonight is to remember and to cling to the truth that there is no other way for the problem of the world's separation from God to be fixed. There is no amount of good actions or right things that we can do in order for that to happen because the Bible presents us with the reality that we're always going to fall short ourselves. But the good news is that we don't have to. We don't have to bridge this gap. Jesus has done the entirety of the work for us, so would we love him all the more because of it. And we hold more and more dearly to our hope in him that one day he will return and restore all things as promised. And if you're here tonight and you either don't believe in Jesus' work, if you have hesitations about it, or you're still just figuring it out for yourself, one, I'm sincerely super glad that you're here, Um, and two, I encourage you to not let that journey of discovery end right when I finish talking tonight. You're not going to be forced to believe anything here, but as we take the time to go through what the Bible says in this series, I encourage you to at least consider what the Bible reveals about Jesus. Consider it tonight, look into it more in the future. All I ask is that you consider Jesus and his work sufficiently to make an informed decision for yourself um, about, yeah, whether the story of Jesus may impact your life. So we're going to break up into just smaller groups uh, to discuss with each other, some questions. And my hope tonight is that these groups would just be spaces where people feel comfortable, comfortable to share honestly about what they believe and what they don't believe. Uh, that these groups would allow us to grow not only in relationship with each other, but also in gaining a comprehensive understanding of what the Bible says and where we're at with that. There's no expectation about where anyone should be with any of these things, and certainly no shame attached either. So I'll pray, and then we'll split it from the groups. Dear Lord, um, yeah, I, just, I thank you for Jesus. Um, I thank you for the truth um, that, yeah, that he has reconciled us in a way that we were unable to ourselves. Um, yeah, that you, that you did not leave us alone, um, in the state of the world, unable to fix it all by ourselves. Um, you came to dwell among us. You came to be with us, so that we would have a way to be with you forever. Yeah, Lord, I pray that yeah we would cling to eternity with you. That our hope would be in you, not anything else. Um, yeah, that we would desire you above all else because of what you've done for us. Um, and yeah, I pray that as we break up into groups tonight, as we discuss deeper, um, that we yeah we would just know you more fully as a result. Um, that you would be revealing yourself to us through these groups. Um, that we'd be forming meaningful relationships with each other, um, centered around your word and a desire to know you more fully. So pray that you'd be present tonight, pray that your spirit would be here, uh, that we know you more fully as a result. In your name, amen.